0: You are listening to Adventures in Sustainable Business with
1: Jurgensen and Peterson. Join the adventurous exploration of sustainable business. In this episode of Adventures in Sustainable Business, Swaynung, we are very happy to have um, a visitor. Nancy Bocken who is professor in sustainable business at Maastricht University also affiliated with uh, Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership the co-founder of a company called Homey, uh, the project leader of the research project Circular X and many other things welcome Nancy. Thank you.
0: We have to ask you as uh, every podcaster asks their guests where does this podcast find you?
2: Ah. I'm actually in the Netherlands now in Maastricht where it's very foggy so uh, I cannot see very far so it's very good to concentrate on the, on this podcast so that's great
1: And many of our listeners Nancy I'm sure will be familiar with your work both on uh, sustainable business models and uh, and also on on circular business models you've you've written many uh, central pieces in the literature on um, on those um, on those issues and those themes uh, but recently we were um, we were happy to see your new paper with samuel short which is in, uh, which is entitled unsustainable business models so there's something in that title that indicates you know that this was this will tell us something about what the problem is why do we need this solution that is called sustainable business models or for that matter circular business models so what is it about all these business models that are unsustainable
2: Yeah, um, so what we noticed actually, because I'm a very positive person by nature, so I thought when maybe naively I wrote a paper with uh, several co-authors in 2014 on sustainable business models, I thought if you just give people the right examples of what are sustainable business models, they will go with it and they will start innovating. Uh, Of course, we found out that it's partially true, but it's also partially very untrue. And so we basically looked into various sectors and we saw that a lot of uh, unsustainable business models are really overlooked business models so that's why we call them institutionalized unsustainable business models so we're part of it every day so it's ingrained in how we behave how businesses behave how policy reacts to it and we don't even try to prevent it really so this, this is for how this idea on unsustainable business models really emerged. So basically, we saw the many sectors. I don't know whether I can expand a little bit on it.
0: Please do, please do.
2: Please do. (laughs) So in many sectors, we actually saw various unsustainable business models. So, um, for instance, in the energy sector, it's very much focused on burning fossil fuels. That is mainly the most obvious one. But we also see it in social media that tries to get you hooked and addicted, uh, leading to very unsustainable behaviors, making people unhappier. I think Instagram is the platform on social media that makes people unhappiest. So even the people who launched some of these platforms are now backing out of them and saying maybe we shouldn't do these unsustainable business models focused on maybe addictive behavior to the platform or uh, creating um, an image that is too perfect to really be true. So this is more the social media parts, energy sector, but also things that we wear every day, like clothing, like we see that... Clothing production has doubled over the years, whereas clothing utilization has almost halved uh, over the same time. So we see that we maybe buy more and more. And yeah, that's maybe not very good if we don't wear all those clothes. And I was also triggered by this through a podcast in the Netherlands. Actually, actually uh, organized by a Dutch news radio focused on business. And I was also challenged actually on s- seemingly sustainable business models. So we might know second-hand platforms such as Vinted or maybe other uh, second-hand uh, clothing platforms that are supposed uh, supposed to be very sustainable. But what some of those uh, journalists notice is that people might actually buy more because they think, oh, it's secondhand. So I buy more and more. So basically, even some of those uh, sustainable platforms also need to be designed uh, with intent to prevent them from becoming unsustainable business models. And those are some of the things that we're currently working on in the research agenda as well to prevent sustainable business models from becoming unsustainable. Uh, I hope you are still following this
0: absolutely absolutely and it was very interesting to to read and, and we we started our new or a new course yesterday a course that we've been running for, for many years but we started it out with the first lecture yesterday and we used this paper as a starting point what is the problem why do we need because the the, the, the the title of the course is sustainable business models uh, but then why do we need it and uh, as you said going back to 2014 two thousand and sixteen uh, we as you might have had that idea that if we just kind of told everyone uh, what the what the goal was then we could move the, the companies there uh but then what is really the problem here and uh, as you when i when i listen to you and then as always think about myself and my own life this is woven into my life it's the clothes that i wear the food that i eat the way i transport myself uh and and you have um here, you, you dig into to nine sectors, if I remember it correctly, and, and look at each of them. And, and what do they bring of good? And what are the problems that they're creating right now? And what do we need to move these companies from the unsustainable to the sustainable business? And if you take us back then to, to 2014, I guess, when you wrote that, uh, the archetypes of the sustainable business uh, models, Uh, uh, what did you think back then? And and tell us a little bit about what you expected in, in these years to come.
2: Yeah, first of all, this is was uh, after the period of completing a PhD more on the environmental uh, part of innovation and sustainable innovation. And within that, I focused a lot more on product innovation. But I noticed that product innovations in themselves are often not enough to create sustainable impacts and that you really need to have a good business model to support it. So what does that mean? For instance, uh, if you have something that is recyclable, you need to enable the customer to recycle it through a take-back system, for instance. It sounds pretty simple. Or if you make a durable product, make sure that people know that it's durable and that it lasts forever and give them, for instance, a warranty. So there are a couple of things that you can do uh, with the business model dynamics. And that was really the starting point of this this overview. And what we noticed in 2014 also is that a lot of this research was disparate in different areas. So we had Either people working on clean tech, very much like uh, clean energy, renewable energy, that was uh, their thing. And also investors were looking into that separately. And then you had the whole social dimension, uh, dimension, social entrepreneurs often solving problems in developing areas. And uh, that was a very different area. And we basically thought, well, there's a lot of things that you can do together. And we tried to basically create a comprehensive uh, platform or overview of sustainable business models because we saw that it was all in separate places. So that's this is how we basically came up with this overview of sustainable business model archetypes. by really looking at what is happening in literature and in practice and bringing this together in a comprehensive overview of sustainable business model archetypes. So even back then we looked at what is industry doing? What are academia doing? How can we bring it together in a, in a concrete overview that can help uh, businesses forward.
1: I like this this concept that you used of you know the business model dynamics and you know how how do one or how does one aspect of a business model in some sense point towards or entail some other like you say if you have a very durable product well that should inform the price point that you set and, and other characteristics like the warranty, how you communicate around the product and, and, and so on. And and in, you know, if we look at your archetypes, you have all these different characteristics of more sustainable business models where where whether we're talking about something like accessing products rather than owning them, it could be things like uh, things like take back that you you mentioned. Um, And so on. And and I'm wondering, now that you've done this, um, this analysis of these nine different sectors with regard to unsustainability, you said something about how this unsustainability is institutionalized in some form. And are you seeing, uh, how should I phrase it, sort of shared characteristics of these business models? Are there some root causes, if if you know what I mean, that you see as being Similar across different domains, because here we're talking about everything from, like you said, energy to textiles, to media, to finance. But are there some characteristics of business models, as they are all around us, that are sort of root causes that you think are especially important to change in order to move these business models from being fundamentally unsustainable to becoming sustainable?
2: Yeah, I think uh, this is a very uh, good question. And I think one of the things that has been bugging me and is very difficult to solve is the business model around quantity over quality. So how do you solve that? So as a business, uh, you want to have some continuity, of course. Uh, but how do you make that continuity sustainable so for instance Oatly a Swedish brand we did a study with them a couple of years ago and we had a a discussion on what is sustainable growth and apparently they also had internal discussions on which products are really necessary and which ones are not like is ice cream necessary or not Uh, so you can have I think uh, (laughs) Slainung thinks that
1: ice cream is necessary
2: yeah very necessary (laughs) I think most people thought it was still necessary (laughs) but there's a couple of things that sort of cut across all the archetypes and i think that's uh, quantity over quality so how do we solve that like can we think about better business models that uh, prolong the lifetime of of products or even with food can you think about better quality food but maybe having less meat and and fish but uh, of a better quality Um, so i think that is very much inherent in a lot of the business models Another one is the this complex opaque global value chain model. I think it's uh, even some of the best in class like Patagonia found issues in their third and fourth uh, tier suppliers. So uh, with our global value chains, this is very much ingrained and something that needs to be solved. I think for some of the ones, some companies might think they don't do it, like this environmental and human resource ex- exploitation. But again, when you go to the second and third fourth tier suppliers you definitely find some of that and some of it is also accepted like chopping down trees to clear land to uh, mine etc and i think that will also need to change and i think there's initiatives um 30 by 30, I think it's called. So by 2030, we need to protect 30% of the land and the the oceans, basically. I think uh, the Biden administration has also signed up for that. So I think by protecting more of our planet, our oceans, basically, I think that could be one of the solutions to avoid some of that that, uh, ingrained degradation, really.
0: Nancy uh, when we look at your work over all of these years uh, not that many years but uh, but all of your work in these uh, rather few years because you've been very productive um in the middle here between 2014 and 2021 uh, one thing that uh, shines <laughs> for me is is your work on experimentation for uh, sustainable business uh, model innovation uh, and we can talk more about this in in, in many different ways but you engaged uh, heavily uh, with companies, you started your own company as an experimentation, and you've been working with other companies as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that work?
2: Yeah, I think it was also born out of uh, sort of a frustration with myself that I enjoy writing papers and I, I like like it, and I like doing research. But I also thought, how can I put this research into practice, or at least try and um, encourage or inspire others to also do it. Um, and when I was at TU Delft, I think I was quite in an experimental space, I would say, like uh, designers uh, who already have um, a yeah, very experimental way of doing research, I guess. So this is also where I started the idea of homie Like as a researcher, we were inspired to think about a demonstrator of our research. And I thought, well, how can you do a de- demonstrator of a business model? Well, the only way to do it is basically start starting a business. So this frustration of, maybe only being an academic, doing conceptual work, plus uh, yeah, being in the right space at the right time and having this idea really spurred me to think about um, experimentation. And also in a project before in the UK, it was with a large um, international retailer, clothing and food. Um, yeah, it was a large retailer wanting to become circular. And that was also very interesting because you cannot change a business overnight. And there, experimentation can also be a way to gradually transform uh, yeah, some of your business operations to become more circular. And that was very exciting, experimentation with different partners, coming up with new propositions, seeing how they work in practice, maybe first starting in the retail shop and then outside of it. So uh, yeah, for me, experimentation really became uh, a theme that uh, yeah, put research also into action for me.
0: Tell us more about HOMI, because I want you to tell us more about the cases in Circular X, the project that Lars Jacob mentioned, because uh, you have many projects there now with small and, and large uh, companies from all around the world. So please take us in, into that landscape later. But but tell us about HOMI. What is it? Uh, what does it do?
2: Yeah, so Homey basically is about all appliances in the home. So it's out of uh, as Homey pay-per-use, basically. Uh, Actually, also uh, very much inspired by the work by Arnold Tucker on product service systems and how they can drive sustainability. He wrote a very nice paper on that in 2004. And basically, in his paper, he said, like, you can deliver 100% product, as I talked about, but you can also combine a product with a service And the best way could be uh, the most servitized models, and those could be the most sustainable ones. But it was a conceptual piece, and there was no empirical data behind it. But one of the models that I found very powerful was this pay-per-use model because I thought it works for cars, for instance, uh, for other products. When you pay-per-use, you get very conscious about uh, how much you should be using. So we started thinking about what would be the iconic product (laughs) for pay-per-use. What does everyone need? What is not maybe something that people feel very... um, emotional about. So we landed on, um, yeah, basically white goods and specifically the washing machine um, started with three washing machines trialed in uh, Rotterdam and Delft in the Netherlands. And so, like, do, does it even work? The technology. So we had an Arduino that was programmed uh, to track basically how the washing programs were used. So basically, we had a clever engineer, a friend of a friend, basically, who managed to uh, code this uh, this thing because I'm not such a technical person that I can do that. Uh, but I did pick up the washing machines at the TU Delft uh, downstairs uh, to have them <laughs> um, basically hacked. And this this is how we started basically with a website, also. Build by a, by a friend again who sort of built a database so it was very much uh, yeah uh, experimental basically the technology the process uh, the people involved a bit of a lean startup but also maybe effectuation by uh, sarasvati uh, working with resources and people you have and you know and building that up into a into a real business
0: we will share uh share the link here uh, in the in the notes to the to the to the podcast episode but i see homie payperuse.com uh does this mean that uh can i can i order the the these services in 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 norway or where do i have to live live by now
2: uh, not yet, but we. I think uh, the Nordic countries are very suitable for it because there's also, for instance, in Sweden, where I lived before, you also have a lot of shared spaces and apartments and shared washing machines. So I think that would be the future. And in the Netherlands, we now also have some apartment blocks where we, uh, where we basically have shared uh, washing machines already, because that would be the future, right? Yeah. What I think is interesting about
1: uh, about the Homey project and the paper that you've written also, where where Homey is a case, and you show some of the the early empirical insights from 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 those uh, experiments, and in some sense those are you could say behavioral experiments. In this, you know, there's a business model on one side, but it's a business model that facilitates a particular kind of behavior on the part of of consumers who are are going to do their their laundry in this. Uh, in this regard, and I, I think it's it's such a nice illustration of of you know how the interplay between the business model on the one hand and the behavior that it that it tries to to facilitate on on the other hand. Um, and I was thinking about you. You have a lot of experience, uh, of course, from from working with with companies in different ways. Uh, and this is one example where you 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 have a company of your own. Uh, to what degree do you see you know the, the large players that uh, that you are working with? Are they, in some sense, inspired by these smaller, uh, you know, experiments like this and adopting it, uh, imitating it in their own business models? Uh, I'm thinking about uh, Stefan Schaltegger's paper on, you know, upscaling versus upgrading, where you have this idea of of the bigger players, you know, imitating, uh, you know, innovative startups who are doing things in, in different ways. You know, how do you see the spread of these experiments into the larger, you know, uh, industrial scale players?
2: yeah good question um yeah first of all um it was really nice to be able to apply some of this academic thinking like nudging like uh, thaler and sunstein basically looking at some simple interventions that you can do to create a more sustainable proposition like we have differential pricing uh, to stimulate sustainable behavior like the 30 degree wash is cheaper than the 90 degree wash uh, for me, that sounded super simple, a simple experiment, simple idea, but in practice, it really worked. So it drove the right sustainable behaviors. Uh, companies find that really attractive. So we've spoken with clothing retailers, even I think all major um, yeah laundry equipment manufacturers. Uh, We even have a project called uh, Recips.eu, so it's about remanufacturing and uh, product service systems uh, that involves a large uh, manufacturer of uh, washing machines, of white goods. Uh, But what we notice is that uh, when a large company tries to implement something that looks like it, it sort of falls back to the common behaviors, like something that works, like... How to make it profitable uh how to maybe immediately go for the highest segment so to make it even more profitable profitable than selling the normal uh, equipment and for us we had a very different starting point so the starting point was how can we deliver something as sustainably environmentally sustainably uh, as possible? And then how can we make a profit out of it? I'm not sure what the best way is to build uh, the best business. Probably the the existing business uh, does a better uh, profitability. But I think uh, basically we need to rethink how we do business and trial some of these crazy ideas that may not make uh, business sense initially, but uh, can grow and become very uh, successful.
0: How is the pay per use? Because I see now that you have... Much more products than when I when I checked it maybe a year or two ago. Then it was like the, the, you started out with the with the with the with the washing machines and so on. But now I also see freezers and vacuum cleaners and uh, and even uh, iron and ironing board. Do you do you pay per use for that as well. Do you, if you if you don't iron your shirt, you pay less. If you don't clean that much or vacuum that much, you also pay less. Or have you been able to build that into those products as well?
2: Um, Yes, that was the idea initially, but we had a lot of discussions on it. So when we started the fridge uh, experiment, uh, initially, we basically started with renting out the fridges and giving people nudges on how to create more sustainable behavior. So it was like a rental type of model. So we did competitions between different households, and uh, we found that uh, yeah, there were very significant differences in, uh, in energy use, and that was really nice. So we basically worked with advice to drive sustainable behavior, because we thought it's not really a workable model if you have to count the number of times someone opens the fridge. So for some models, it really became, uh, yeah, Unsustainable, maybe unpractical, basically to set up a paper use model. We do do it for the uh, for the dryers uh, for the washing machines still, but for others, uh, yeah, you can punish someone for cleaning the house basically. <laughs> so we didn't think that would be. A... I was
0: I was hoping a little one. I was hoping. <laughs> I was hoping. Consume, maybe yeah. some
2: people can understand that. <laughs> off. I
0: saved so much money last year because I didn't clean my house. And, <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: uh, exactly. That'd be
2: nice. So. Um, so our different models that we now have actually were born out of the fact that some models were not so practical, pay-per-use, pure paper use and also to make it more financially viable. Like I think we already do something that is maybe counter business by offering something for free and not charging someone uh, until the product is being used. So we did start, for instance, with a deposit uh, yeah, a minimum number of washes, which is still very low. So, But we had to implement a couple of things to make it uh, yeah, more financially viable as well uh, as a business.
1: This relates to an interesting question, you know, going back to the starting point with these unsustainable business models in all of these different sectors in your experience now having worked uh, both from a research standpoint and, and in other in other roles with with companies from many different industries and having analyzed all of these these uh, different sectors of of the economy you know you're like you're saying now there there are some some types of behaviors sometimes of some types of consumption that are perhaps easier to see how we can make them more sustainable you know it could be moving from uh, fossil uh, driven vehicles to electrical vehicles it could be you know uh, going from from cleaning our clothes on you know high degree to low degree or you know whatever it might be but do you have you seen any you know do, do you see systematic differences across sectors and in, in some sense the low hanging fruit versus the things that are really really tricky to, to move from their sort of these ingrained unsustainable patterns of both production and consumption, you know, where, where are you bullish and where are you less optimistic in terms of, of how we can move the needle in the right direction?
2: Yeah. I think, uh, the things that ask people to do something that is less convenient will be the most difficult ones. So I had a lot of discussions also on vegetarianism, for instance, like, uh, some people still act surprised when I say like, yeah, I don't eat meat for environmental reasons. And they say, why would an individual's choices matter? And I think that is something very important. Like where can you basically, um, yeah, let people know that it does matter, that their individual behavior does count. So I think this is where it gets difficult and where, as a company, you need to dare to have a discussion uh, with the customer. And I see that slowly some of the major food retailers are also trying to nudge people to maybe replace meat with with something else, you know? And I think that is slowly happening, but uh, this choice editing um, is still a difficult one and has been a difficult one because people want convenience. People are, uh, yeah, want something to be easy. Um, same with everything that's electric, uh, electrified. So we're trying to electrify everything from lawnmowers to toothbrushes and everything. I think this is a very bad development. It makes unnecessary noise, uses unnecessary electricity. So maybe we should also move uh, towards more frugal innovation and I think that will also be a very cool development like well on, yeah only talking about frugal uh, innovation maybe in developing emerging countries but why shouldn't we have more frugal innovation here as well
0: I have to ask you then uh, and I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier these these cases in, in Circular X but, and maybe you could start with the, telling us about uh, the Circular X project and then we could talk more about the cases uh, and also uh, these, this discussion that we just had now on these kinds of innovations in the companies. How do they meet? How do they react on these idea and how, ideas? And how do they work? But but start out by telling us about the, the Circular X project.
2: Yeah, so Circular X actually stands for Experimentation with Circular Service Business Models. Uh, it was funded by the ERC, the European Research Council. It's a project that will be running for five years, so it's still till 2025. Uh, we have a couple of researchers, uh, six researchers at the moment uh, working interdisciplinary on this topic of uh, experimentation and basically um, the very simple idea is how can we spur experimentation with circular service business models in large business but also startups, SMEs basically every company needs to become a circular company, so this is our goal And we also focus on high-impact sectors, uh, also influenced by, amongst others, the work by Arnold Tucker, who mapped uh, high-impact sectors from an environmental perspective, such as food, uh, mobility, energy-using appliances, uh, housing, but also we looked into clothing as one of the most unsustainable uh, sectors uh, on earth. Uh, so basically that's our starting point and we have a broad platform, but we have a couple of research questions. First, understanding what is this experimentation, looking into the practices of businesses, then developing tools and methods and also labs. And we've done some virtual labs uh, with companies already. And uh, we, yeah, we basically, through research, want to support this uh, circular economy transition.
1: I have to ask you, this is a digression, really, to the question, but we're going to move back into Circular X. But I was struck by this, you know, wherever I go uh, and talk about the circular economy, whether it's here in Norway or in other countries outside the Netherlands, everyone is pointing towards the Netherlands. Uh, and, And, you know, the country as such, Amsterdam as sort of the circular city. And often, you know, the look from outside is different from the look from inside. But you know can you can you say a few words about the netherlands as a sort of circular hotspot because that seems to be the feeling from the outside that so much innovation both on the part of you know pri- private companies from you know municipalities and cities and also uh, how strikingly many Dutch researchers are in this space of of circularity. What's going on there?
2: Um, Well, first of all, we're partly below sea level, so that is what is going on. So I think we're pretty worried about that. Uh, So I think circular economy uh, is seen as one of the drivers uh, to solve climate change, basically. And I think we've really taken on this idea uh, also of the circular economy package of the European Commission. And uh, I think In general, we're maybe quite an innovative country, but I think we're not so different from any other countries. When I lived in Sweden, I was surprised by the so many innovative uh, uh, companies there. When you go to the US, when you go to the UK, uh, uh, countries I visited, uh, also uh, researchers uh, that contact me from uh, emerging countries, from India, who wants to be also more circular, Australia, where it's seen as a way to uh, tackle climate change in a slightly different way. So there's a lot of countries, continents, uh, basically uh, working on this topic. So I think from every continent, probably I received messages of people maybe wanting to copy or do something similar to this project and also do something uh, on circular economy. So yes, the Netherlands might be it as a hotspot, maybe because we're below sea level, uh, but I think a lot is happening now in the world, and I'm yeah positively surprised actually by all the reactions from people in, in the world on this topic.
1: And I want to follow up with another question because something that strikes me, uh, you know, you mentioned TU uh, Delft as you know, uh, and I guess you've been affiliated with the school previously, or yes, yeah, yeah. And it's my you know I, I have this impression that that you're successful in the academic sphere when it comes to the circular economy and so on in in, in the Netherlands to 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 build you know these tra- interdisciplinary connections between you know business design and architecture um, and so on how how important do you think that this interdisciplinarity is and not just in in research i'm also thinking about basically when you you design and and implement business models you really you need these different the, the eyes of the engineers the architects the designers the, the, the and all all these different uh, disciplinary uh, you know Perspectives, and it seems that you're quite successful at doing that, both in the academic space and beyond.
2: Yeah, I think um, a lot of the universities are. We're a small country, so a lot of the universities are near business hubs as well. A lot of the projects that uh, that we do at at our universities are often with companies as well. Uh, I think at TU Delta it was one of the first circular uh, design courses that um, uh, that was founded there. Uh, in Maastricht uh, we have a Sustainable Business Masters uh, that was launched uh, this year where also circular economy is a big topic. So I think... Um, universities are probably physically near (laughs) businesses and uh, generally i think there's a lot of collaboration as well Um, yeah we call it transdisciplinarity as well that's sort of the boundaries between uh, what is uh, practice and what is research are sort of blurred as well so i think this collaborative culture does uh, exist but i also found it in in sweden and uh, in england actually so
0: I, I want to take us back to those cases. And here we have the you know, the chance to talk about both the kind of the global initiatives and companies and the, and the, the ones from Netherlands. So you could talk about both and, and tell us about some of these examples and how you work with them.
2: Yeah. Um, so maybe in the Netherlands, yeah, we worked with, uh, with swap feeds, for example. So they already have a, yeah bicycle subscription model and they basically wanted to be even more circular than they are and exploring different types of experimentations with their business models so we did some virtual and face-to-face uh, workshops with them, and also a recent survey um also did more some uh, yeah desk and interview studies with companies like h&m and philips uh really nice because uh, yeah you see that they are experimenting with the second hand refurbishment all kinds of things that are very exciting so i was very curious about how they do it basically so i interviewed them about their practices and their struggles in the process so those are some of the things that we do as well also did a workshop with polestar um on their yeah they already have like a renewable uh Electric car, but how can they maybe change their business model and even make it make it better? So we have done during the pandemic, of course, <laughs> um, yeah, constraints by uh, some of the physical parts. Done some virtual w- workshops, but also a lot of desk studies on uh, how companies uh, experiment with uh, with their business models. So and also this is part of this database. So we have this circular X database, and there we try to find specifically how, what those practices are. And we try to also do interviews, very short ones with the companies to develop the cases. And those also find what the environmental impact improvement is. That's not always easy to find because that is sort of still a blind spot. But for some of the cases we did find, uh, yeah, what the environmental impact improvement also is of that experimentation, because this is some of, yeah, one of the research gaps, but also one of the practice gaps, I guess.
1: It, I will want to encourage all our listeners to to check out the circularx.eu website and and it, it's such a rich uh, you know uh, a, a, a rich database if you will of, of cases and examples and insights and, and it's really inspiring to see and I'm I'm intrigued Nancy when you say this this project is running until 2025 I think you you said uh, so that means that there's still uh, lots of work to do and and lots of uh, of insights to to emerge from the project and. You know, you, you have this um, this um, two uh, way or sort of the, the academic uh, perspective that you're, you're uh, uh, that you're sort of articulating very well here, and also this practical business savvy uh, perspective. So I, I like this the, this dual approach that that I think is very clear in this project. And I, I wanted to ask you, with regard to both of those, what what can we expect to see in these years to come? What are the big questions that are unanswered as you see them? With with regard to the the circular economy and and also what what will be the next steps that these companies that are trying to become more circular? What are the sort of unanswered practical questions, if you will, for those companies that are trying to to succeed with this in practice?
2: Yeah, so uh, one of them uh, already mentioned. So that's the environmental impact of uh, all of these initiatives. So one of my PhD researchers, uh, Ankita, does uh, she did a review on the, to what extent companies uh, basically. <clears throat> uh, review and, uh, the, and assess the m- impact of, uh, of some of their initiatives and she basically found that a lot of companies uh, use something that looks like lifecycle assessment but a lot of them don't really assess the impact of their current or the future business models. so that is really a gap so she's working on tools that uh, guide companies in this process. So when they develop a service model, how can they avoid rebound effects, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So this is uh, one of the areas that is still quite big. Another one is, uh, I think, in the past, a lot of the models focused on recycling, a lot of the business models focused on recycling, and we want to focus more on slowing the loop. And one of my researchers, uh, Laura Neeson, so she's in the Circular X team, she's basically developing a database of sufficiency-based business practices. What does it mean? So basically means the slow consumption as part of the business model. And she's basically uh, looking into different types of examples across the different uh, industries. So I think that will also be very exciting to see. And then uh, tools and methods. I think companies like to use their own tools and methods. So lean startup, for instance, I also applied to more practical research projects in the past. uh, And companies like that to build, measure, learn loops. But can we maybe derive other tools that are maybe circular economy specific and uh, can guide them also into more sustainable and not only more financially viable propositions. So these are some of the things that we're developing and we will have some early uh, workshop uh, workshops online and tools that we're gonna trial within the next year already. Uh, so that should be exciting, deliverables, not until 2024, 2025, but we want to lean startup our- ourselves into uh, yeah, early tools and methods to already support businesses early on and not wait until the end of the project, basically.
1: I want to once again take us back to to the starting point here. We, as you understand, Nancy, we were very inspired by your your paper on unsustainable business models. And there's one figure uh, in the paper. Uh, to be very specific, it's Figure One uh, on uh, on page 11. For those who might have the PDF in front of them, uh, it's uh, it's a sort of a, it looks a little bit like an onion. It circles inside circles, and it's uh, the the figure is is essentially an illustration of the the hierarchy is what you write of of the sustainable business model archetypes and you could read it i guess as a form of you know levels of ambition if you will in sustainable business modeling and what i really am so encouraged by is that you know the things that we used to think of as being super ambitious goals becoming net zero for instance it's quite far down in that hierarchy. And if we look up in the hierarchy, we see uh, things like the you, you mentioned the sufficiency economy, making making do with less, living smarter lifestyles, frugal innovation you used as a concept earlier as well. Uh, you also mentioned, I believe earlier, the, the regenerative economy, or one of us mentioned it. I don't remember who of us uh, said it. And, and at the top, you have this flourishing economy. Is the field moving as quickly? Uh, and I mean out in the, out in the real world? Uh, should managers sleep uh, sleep shorter nights and get up earlier because the, the speed of innovation towards these more ambitious types of sustainability innovation, like the regenerative business models, efficiency based business models and so on. Are they coming quickly?
2: Mm. Yeah, I think I really like it that you read the paper in so much detail. And uh, for me, it was also encouraging to see that uh, efficiencies and what I call narrowing the loop and using less uh, materials per product. That is becoming more evident because it saves costs uh, while it saves resources at the same time. Net zero, I think, is now on everyone's uh, business agenda. Uh, circular economy is also becoming the bread and butter of businesses. But then the more difficult ones come, as you uh, observed as well, like the sufficiency economy, making do with less. Uh, being net positive and regenerative and finally having a totally different view on what the economy is and this idea of flourishing also from John Ehrenfeld but also Kate Rayworth, and what donut economics is really thinking about rethinking what this future economy should look like. When I have conversations about this, people say even we shouldn't talk about economy anymore because the economy is nothing without the planet and society. It's some... uh, artifact or something that we invented ourselves um so i think what we want to show with this figure is that there's a transition that is necessary and i think at all levels there are businesses that are already think like that but it's not yet the majority so some banks finance uh, people in the finance sector are thinking about flourishing some people are thinking about uh, uh, yeah, doing less uh, sufficiency economy. I saw people doing experiments with shorter work weeks, uh, basic universal income, this uh, Finnish experiment. So when you said, should people sleep less? I think they should sleep more and <laughs> maybe work less. <laughs> so that could be part more of the sufficiency economy because income is very much correlated to environmental impact. So maybe we should all do a little less. Could be also a nice way to conclude. <laughs> Is that yeah. how
0: you live your brand, Nancy? You, you, you sleep more and work less. We've talked through now the last six or seven years with probably all the probably. all the papers and and the company you started and also the the, the project that you're running. Uh, and I'm happy to see that you're building teams. I see that on circleclex your your team now, and I know that you work a lot with with other researchers as well uh but but if you sleep a lot i'm I'm quite curious on on how uh, eff- effective you are when you're awake.
2: I'm a bad example of my own <laughs> <laughs> own figure <laughs> basically no but <clears throat> I think we need to rethink what what this economy or what our future society looks like i think aaron fells kate rayworth many other thinkers have thought about this and should we even have an economy if it is an economy uh, it shouldn't probably optimize economic uh, impact but more um, the benefits of the health of society and the natural environment. Uh, There's plenty of evidence that also says that if we have a healthy environment, a green environment, people are also happier. So I think all of these are interlinked and there's plenty of evidence, but uh, I think this awareness needs to grow even more that we're sort of optimizing the wrong thing at the moment. I think that is a simple thing that this figure is telling us that we should, should work towards optimizing the right thing and that's not the economy basically.
1: We are happy, Nancy, that that you are. Uh, we want you to sleep well, but we are happy that you are working and writing these papers that really <laughs> that really bring out so much of uh, what the problem is, where we started this conversation. Um, but uh, even more importantly, of course, what the solutions might be, whether those solutions are circular, whether they are regenerative, or or they are uh, at the highest level of ambition here, the the, the flourishing. Uh, business models the the truth is we could keep you here and talk until next week or next month Uh, but (laughs) we have covered a lot of ground in this conversation nancy and we are very grateful that you joined us for this uh, chat about uh, sustainable business models here in uh, adventures in sustainable business
2: thank you it was a pleasure to be with you today it was really nice
0: you have listened to adventures in sustainable business with jurgensen and petersen
1: Visit us at jurgensenpeterson.no, where you can find more information about this podcast and other information about our work. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review.